0: Orville Roach.
1: Oh, welcome back, everybody. We are in the building. Uh, we will not allow uh, any virus to keep us from doing our show, uh, as we love doing. I know it's been a while. I think it's probably been over a month or so, but we're, we're back in the saddle, and we've got a good one with a surprise guest for everybody today. So uh, welcome back, Mr. Host. How are you feeling?
2: I'd feel much better if uh, we didn't have the technological virus fighting us once again.
1: That technological virus is uh, is a thing that seems there will never be a vaccine or a cure for uh, as it comes to the, uh, we'll go unnamed, uh, the unnamed platform that we use to broadcast. Um, somehow the, the co-host link is working perfectly. And then, of course, uh, we do a sound check with the guest of honor. That works great. Uh, and then the host goes to sign on and, um, can't speak a lick and, and we can't, he's not audible in any way. Uh, so needless to say, the host is calling in from his cell phone. That's an ongoing issue for certain, but, um, we got a good one. We've got a good one on tap. It's right around that time of year where we do our, uh, kind of like our independence day, which is very much, um, where the relationship and the birth of OCG, um, is talked about, and then the connection back to Daytop is always made uh, annually to remind folks who were not around for that period of time and to educate those folks. And so I think the topic that we have and the guests that we have is very befitting to to this time of year.
2: Absolutely. And before we um, bring her on, I'm glad you mentioned about our Independence Day celebration coming up. And folks have always asked me outside of our common
1: ground when.
2: First of all, can you hear me okay?
1: Oh, you you sound great. Uh, you sound lovely. Okay, okay. Um,
2: folks outside of our common ground ask us what is what is this Independence Day celebration? Because obviously it's it's a couple of months after July 4th, and I explained to them it's when we, um, what's the word? I won't say physically, but. On paper, we separate and, and, and legally that's the right description we legally separated from Daytop New York uh, and yep. became our own um, our own independent entity and the only thing we couldn't do was keep the daytop name so we had to change the name. Um, we kept everything else but we couldn't keep the name.
1: We so we uh, spread our metaphorical wings and flew from the nest.
2: Exactly, and and like most children, you know, how how is it when you left your, you know, when you left the family home for the first time?
1: Yeah, yeah, you you uh you maybe you you spend more time with uh, mom and dad than you did when you were living there, <laughs> because you gotta pop your head back in and uh, it, it's all setting in. So there's some bumps in the road for sure uh some things that you always thought you could get right that you would always judge mom and dad for all of a sudden you're you're learning the cold reality of why it was like that and uh maybe you don't know as good as you thought
2: well I I got to let our listeners know this was an old this was an old fashioned sub, southern uh move out you know the southern move out is when your family when you you know you turn 18 and and look either you're moving out or we're kicking you out
1: yeah, he come home and the locks on the door change. The key doesn't work right.
2: anymore. Exactly. <laughs> there's no, and, and there is no calling back and all that stuff. You got to send for yourself, which is what. It, now we weren't kicked out. This was a proactive thing on our part. But once the split was legally official, August twenty fourth, two thousand seven, um, there was no looking back. No phone calls back east for help or assistance. None of that uh, just wasn't happening. So sink we or swim really out. Exactly, sink or swim. So, with that said, normally folks know that we do our news, we got to touch on our sports, but whenever we have a guest, we put all that to the backside of the show and uh, try and respect the time of our guests um, and put them on the front end. So, the person that I want to introduce and bring on, uh, her name is Christina.
1: He's got a great name, by the way. I'll just throw that out there. Any any iteration of the name is fabulous.
2: Uh, yes, uh, the first name of our uh, producer is uh, Chris Christopher, and all types of iterations that he goes by. So also
1: with the he, with the son with the name of uh, you know another Chris, iteration.
2: Yeah. Exactly the new, not one year old yet the uh, the legacy
1: uh, from Mister <laughs> Mister. <laughs> Mr. Producer Yes and indeed hope,
2: And hopefully he's still not sleeping nights As a, as a get back But anyway <laughs>
1: um,
2: Christina Is uh, Holds a distinction I'm not sure if she's aware of this But if she's not She'll be made aware of it now She holds a distinction Of at the very least in Daytop, California I'm not sure about In all of Daytop but in Daytop, California, the first 13-year-old client. So with that said, Mr. Producer, let's bring her on.
1: All right, all right. Christina, can you hear us? I can, I can. Beautiful. Welcome to the show. It's official. You are on Roach on Recovery. And um, welcome. We're, we've got... I'm sure um, uh, Orville has some questions lined up for you, but uh, we're very, very grateful to have you on. Uh, we think it's awesome that we're going to be able to, to record this and get this in the archives as you are uh, like one of the, the founding entities uh, that we, can, we have stories from uh, from back in the day, daytop top adolescence. So, so welcome and thank you for spending some time with us.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I feel um, very honored.
2: Good. So, Christina, hi. Uh, this is Orville again.
3: Um, hi,
2: Orville. Hi. Hi. So, like I said, I, I had you when you were 13 years old. Yes. Um. Do you want to? Can you recollect what year that was?
3: Um. I was trying to go back and you know counting with my fingers. Um. I believe it was nineteen ninety.
2: Yes. Now you were there yeah. when I you were there when I arrived, correct?
3: Correct. I, I was there right. before your arrival,
2: I believe. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Right. I, I think you were. Yeah. So I arrived in April of nineteen ninety one and the day that I arrived it was a Saturday, April sixth, nineteen ninety one. When I got off the plane, got in the van, and they drove me straight to the adolescent facility just to check it out. And when I walked into the facility, it was rain sitting on the prospect chair. That was my (laughs) entry into daytime California. So you were there. You were 13 years old. And let me tell you why that's so important and that holds such a great distinction. I believe, at least in Daytop, California, I don't know about in all of Daytop, but in Daytop, California, up until when we stopped providing adolescent services, and that was April 2014, so 26 years from when we started in April of 1988, uh, all these wow. April's, right? Yeah. So the 28 years, rather. no. 26 years, right, Mr. Producer, to 2014? 1988, 2014, correct. 26 years. And you um, are only one of, I believe, four 13-year-olds that we've ever had.
1: Did you um, say, I'm sorry to interrupt, did you say 98 to 2016 no, or 14? no, 1988. 1988, yeah, correct, correct, correct.
2: 1988, right. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mr. Producer, you remember one of the... The things we just found out this was just by accident, looking through some archives uh, all the while we thought that the date of that date of California was formed was April first it was actually march twenty third because um, we found a document from the Secretary of State's office, but that's neither here nor there but um, wow. so Christina, one of the first questions i'd like to ask you is what How did you, as a 13-year-old, end up in a place like Daytop?
3: Right. Um, Well, I was um, a pretty rebellious uh, youngin, and I was in and out of Juvenile Hall, and I remember the judge specifically telling me that I was headed down a path of my next jump would be prison and at the time I don't think I really cared or I kind of cared and there were older girls in juvenile hall um, you know 16 17 that were like oh go to a program Um, and I'm like a program what's a program so I believe at the time I had a roommate who um, went to day and got kicked out or something along those lines. And she was like, yeah, ask for a program. That'll make you look good with the judge. And, you know, um, you'll get out. You'll have your freedom. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, so I think that's what led me down the program route, even though I needed one, um, because I was already playing around with drugs and alcohol and men who were, you know, not supposed to be around me <laughs> at that age. So mm-hmm. uh yeah, that's what that's how Daytop entered my mind.
2: So who who from Daytop comes to juvenile hall? And this is San Mateo County Juvenile Hall.
3: Correct. Mm-hmm.
2: So who comes? Who comes to to visit you or to interview you?
3: So a gentleman named Wally came. Okay. Um, I don't remember the the whole interaction. I remember being very nervous. And you know, what's he going to ask me? You know, am I going to ask? Am I going to answer correctly? Because this was a determining interview if I would be accepted into this program. And right. I figured, okay, if I'm not accepted, I'm going, you know, I'm headed down a road of prison. Um, right. So I entered, you know, he, this gentleman came, he was older, um, very wise man. And um, it was intimidating, but I was accepted and I believe I was picked up within like a week. Mm-hmm. And that's how that went. Um, yeah, he picked me up. And I believe, so that's in Belmont. And it's probably like a 10, like a 15-minute ride um, to Daytop Redwood City. And I believe, I know he smoked. And I believe he allowed me to smoke. And that's pretty much what we did. We smoked and talked.
2: <laughs> so, so I have to ask. I mean, did he tell you about the the horses, the uh, you know, the, the swimming pools, and and all and all that stuff? <laughs> right,
3: right. In the masseuse who came weekly. Um, no, he did not.
4: <laughs>
3: I had no idea, really what I was entering into nor did I really care. I was at a juvenile hall. I was smoking well, cigarettes and we were allowed to smoke there. We I I don't think he told me we only got four a day, but you know, I was happy. So, yeah, I got a so, rude of awakening that evening.
2: So, so let me just for the the record let people know that when, when I arrived, I was horrified to find out that adolescents were allowed to smoke because coming from New York, you know, it was very strict there, and it just wasn't happening. I mean, I found it <laughs> shocking. I didn't, I didn't smoke cigarettes, but I found it shocking that even in the adult treatment program, they provided a pack of, um, a, yeah, a carton, I'm sorry, a week. To the clients who smoke, and they p- provided name brands, Marlboro, Newport, <laughs> right. I'm not talking about roll ups and, and, and camels and whatnot, so to come and find out that the adolescents, A, were allowed to smoke, and B, that we, the program, were giving them the cigarettes was just mind-blowing to me,
3: but now that I look back say, on it, I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say, suffice it to say, I'm not sure if that ended during your time, but I know it's sometime shortly thereafter that stopped because the county uh, passed an ordinance not allowing cigarette smoking by minors on their property.
3: Right. Um, no, I got to smoke the whole time I was there. Thank God. Um, wow. that's, <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt because <laughs> I looked forward to my smoke breaks. Um but yeah, I used to get wham money and go buy a pack of cigarettes, so I didn't have to just have four. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: so this is obviously cool. o- this is obviously unbelievable to folks listening in 2020. <laughs> but um, wait, it's the way, this is the way it was. Um, and what wham. WAM, for people who don't know, W-A-M stands for walking around money. You would, get, you would get paid, you know, $1, $2, $3, $4, $5 a week, depending on what jobs you held in the house. So she got WAM. She received, was it four cigarettes a day? It was. Four cigarettes a day. Um, and so, I don't know. So when you, when you arrived and this is what was going on, um, aside from like, so when did the reality of what being in daytop meant hit you? How long was it?
3: Um, not very long because I think I was up in the in the um what do we call it? The annex or the AL? yes, I was upstairs and you know everyone was friendly and hi and welcome. And then I was led downstairs, and I believe I was sat on this, like, wooden chair. and plastic. Like, right. And I was made to sit there by myself with everybody walking around, doing their thing. And I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? I wasn't allowed to speak. Nobody was allowed to speak to me. And I was just like, what? is going on? Like where's Wally? Because this is nuts (laughs) (laughs) And Wally was nowhere to be found.
2: So So. again folks, let me let me let folks know what so (laughs) Christina is dropped basically into the hustle and bustle of the environment right on Broad Street basically. Right in central Central Avenue. As (laughs) residents are walking around, hustling around, just doing their thing, going about their business, you know, flying around, going past her. They can't acknowledge her. They can't look at her. She can't speak to them. Even if she tried, they wouldn't respond, et cetera, et cetera. So she doesn't know what the hell is going on. She's just sitting there on a hard wooden chair, seeing all of this unfold in front of her. Then what happens?
3: Then I believe – I was led into a really big room all the way at the end of the hall. And that was like the longest walk, like dead man walking. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was led into this room where everyone was set up like a panel. And if I remember correctly, I think Mark ran it. And Anna was in there and Marcy, um, uh, other uh, residents that were higher up in the program. And I sat in a chair like 10 feet from them alone, and they all just stared at me. And basically, I had to account for why I was there. And I was just like, oh, my word. These people did not have a smile, a welcoming vibe about them. And here I am, 13, you know, just like, um, um, you know. And at one point, uh, the, the interview, I had to ask for help. And, you know, I'm like, what? I don't know. Help me. And they're like, no, you need to dig deep. And ask for help. So (laughs) needless to say, at the end of this, I'm in full-blown tears, not coming down my face, screaming for help, and they still were like, "Mm mm-mm, we don't feel it. You don't want this. We're taking you back. And I was just beside myself. So I had to dig very deep and do some soul searching really quickly and ask for that help that I so didn't want to ask for. And I was finally welcomed and the welcoming was so overwhelming and so, you know, accepted. And I was just like, what? You people are freaking me out. Like you are so mean. And, you know, once I let my walls down, um, they were there to open their arms. So it was pretty. It was pretty intense.
2: <laughs> so, Mr. Producer, I got to tell you, I got goosebumps listening to her uh, <laughs> tell that. Woo, so, the I
1: and I man, the old school <laughs> I and I. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, because that was my one of my primary duties. Is when I arrived there was facilitating initial interviews. And that's exact as she described it, is exactly, so we, the people who are conducting it, you know, we're, we're putting on an act. Mm-hmm. So what you see from us is an act. And what we're trying to see from you, basically, is an emotional investment into your life. And to to be thinking... And sometimes even feeling like you are making that emotional investment, and for people to be sitting in front of you who you don't know, just with stone faces, just shaking their heads, said, "No, I don't, I don't feel that really." Um, right is 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 very uh, deep. But um, and then the dichotomy of when they accept that they feel you, and how their whole demeanor changes to welcome you into the family. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's some cool stuff, Daytop
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was <laughs> Talk about my emotions
2: <laughs> um, But, hey, uh, I went through that Mr. Producer went through that So, uh, we, of course, we know you went through that So we mm-hmm. certainly identify with the whole range of emotions That you feel going through the initial <laughs> interview
1: Oh, and yeah, she iron. was talking about being sat on the PC, and then, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that took me back, for sure. No. Right. The
2: iron. And that here's was the just iron. the
3: start of my sitting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right?
2: That was exactly. just the start. <laughs> she mentioned uh, welcoming, feeling, you know, welcomed, and we're going to come back to that, because there's an irony. That word that you used As it connects to What we do now Okay Mm. So so let's continue So you go through your initial interview You're welcomed into the family And now Mm -hmm. basically Treatment starts for you And You know Just for the Let's say that How long ultimately did you stay In treatment before you went on the phase four how long was it? Three
3: years.
2: Okay, so I was off by about six months because I was talking to my wife and I said I believe she was in in daytop before she went on phase four for almost two and a half years. So we're yeah, really three, three years. years. <laughs> so you, it was. So you hadn't turned left... sixteen though, correct?
3: I turned sixteen by the time I left.
2: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So of course, Mr. Yeah. Producer, that's even that was we had clients that stayed 18 months, even 24 months. Yep. So her length of stay was very rare, but a lot of it had to do with her age. Yep. Um, so when when in that process, so if you look at you were there for three years, at mm-hmm. what point did you really start to like take it serious and buckle down and, and, you know, do your thing. And get
3: on board. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to say really quick, I was a hard nut to crack. So it took quite a while. Um, okay. I have to do a lot of testing and trial and error. Um, that's just me, unfortunately. Um, so I don't think I turned that corner until my second year. It took it took that long because I ran away a few times. Um, I came back with some pretty serious consequences. Um, I was running my own show. I, you know, I was doing my own thing for a long time and I finally just surrendered and was like, your way is not working. These people can't be all that wrong or all that off. And I finally just, I don't remember the day or time, but there just came a point in time where I was like, this is not working for me. And these consequences are brutal. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being on a ghost. I'm tired of being, like, I got <laughs> broken down. I was tired of uh, washing baseboards. I was tired oh, physically. Yeah. And I wanted – I started seeing things and people that I wanted. Like, I remember there was a guy there, Julian, and they gave him a title of being the house guru.
0: And, and yep. I don't know
3: if that was used after him, but I wanted that. I wanted to be a guru. I wanted to be a coordinator. I wanted to be a leader, not right. this asshole child, excuse my language, that was running around. So, yeah, it took, it took a while, but I did finally turn that corner, and I became a coordinator and, you know, stuff like that, a trusted so, member of the house.
2: Well, let me, let me fill some things in here, because mm-hmm. I, I remember how you were vividly,
0: <laughs> very yeah.
2: precocious, very yeah. rebellious, talked back, yes. did what you wanted to do, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards. However, okay,
4: mm-hmm.
2: as I was just telling my wife the other day, I said, it's very interesting this dynamic because the, the I think we had three 13-year-old girls, one 13-year-old male. and No, I'm sorry. Mm. We had actually five. It was three and two. Now that I'm remembering the other, the other 13-year-old. And the 13 – obviously, girls and boys at that age is, are very different, and the boys were mm-hmm. still like, the, you know, they don't know who they are still. Uh, they don't know mm-hmm. what's happening around. The girls were all the same. The girls were all the same at 13, meaning they were they were street smart. They, you know, you couldn't get over on them. You know, mm-hmm. rebe- rebellious, smart mouth, the whole nine yards. However <laughs> – yes. When they flipped, meaning that when that kind of worked it, when they started to kind of mature, put it that way, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the 13 chain turned to 14, and the 14 started to turn to 15, and when Mm -hmm. they flipped and turned the corner, they were something to be reckoned with, because as leaders, because of how they were when they were 13, I don't know if you can imagine, Mr. Producer, but when they start to mature and become leaders in the house, Nobody, and I mean nobody, could mess with them. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely nobody could mess with them. So, the part that I really remember the most is once you started working your way up the chain and became a coordinator, it was like unbelievable how you were because of where you came from.
3: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, yeah, I was a little hard nosed, but, um, yeah, yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it to them hard. You know? Yeah, that was coming from my heart.
2: So I have a critical question to ask you. Looking back, mm-hmm. when you were going through the process, before you made the flip and started buying into the program, the things that we had you do, so when you walled when you and came back, when you got shot down the spare parts and all that stuff, the things yeah. we had you do on spare parts, Either then or looking back as it, from it now, did you consider those things abusive?
3: Um, maybe when I was there, like, how dare them? Or, you know, <laughs> I can't wait to get out of there. Or But looking back at it, absolutely not. Um, my type needed that. Um, right. I, to this day live by exactly what i was taught it all starts in your room if your room's not tight your belly's not tight and i live by that like i firmly believe in it when my house is in disarray and in chaos i look i look you know i stop and i think wow everything is kind of chaotic right now like you know, nothing is put together. And once I start with the basics and get those in order, then everything seems to fall in line. So, yeah, no, uh, absolutely not abusive. Much needed.
2: Um, I don't know about you, Mr. Producer, but, you know, hear, hearing someone Say what she just said about uh, the basics
1: come on man I'm getting the chills over here this is like this is like as old school TC fundamental i mean she's dropping the she uh, I was tired of being on a ghost and i'm thinking man I'm thinking about all the old school les and just that just that TC man that therapeutic community from from the ghosts and then looking up to the coordinators and wanting to be a coordinator, and if your room's right. not tight, your belly's not tight, and- oh come on man, this is i mean it's it's a shame we got a time limit on this show i could I could talk like this all night. I need a cup of coffee <laughs> and a piece of cheesecake, man, I could be <laughs> rapping this all night
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: so you you
2: you, spe- you spend three years in daytime, mhm. You're 16 years old when you transition to Phase 4. Now, if I'm not mistaken, if recollection holds correctly, you came from, was it Pacifica? Okay. So you go on Phase 4. And you, I presume you go back to Pacifica. What happens while you're on Phase 4, the, or the first six months?
3: Um, well, I transitioned back into my junior year in high school um, and go back. To my parents and that was rough for me Um, just being thrown back into high school um, I was very different again Um, I had all this recovery in me you know kids you know I was trying to counsel everybody and fix everybody and you know people were like oh my god what is her problem as everyone's smoking pot and doing drugs in the parking lot so it was a very very weird time for me and of course I met the love of my life at Daytop so that was um, another (laughs) component to it so Mm -hmm. if I didn't have Daytop and the friends that I made um, I wouldn't have survived Um, they were my Mm -hmm. lifeline and um, I stuck close to the past and that's what I did so mm-hmm. that's what worked for me um I just want to say really quick because I do know we're limited on time as as hard as daytop was and do baseboards and be on a ghost and all that I never received so much love and acceptance and validation in my life mm-hmm. so, I just want to put that out there Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: So, you let's you you move into um, adulthood, young adulthood, early twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. Let's say,
5: how's mm-hmm. life
2: going? What what's Christina doing and all of that? L- lead us all the way up uh-huh. to now. Okay.
3: Well, unfortunately, you know, life. I had a child very young at eighteen. Um, mhm. I, you know, we were going to conquer the world, you know, I was broken and he was going to fix me. So, um, that is definitely not how it turned out. Um, <laughs> don't have children for that reason. Cause it doesn't work that way. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a child young, I struggled. Uh, I had an early marriage that did not work out, um, struggled and I, you know, I was in and out of recovery um, through my adulthood. And mm-hmm. in 2009, I came to my knees. I, I couldn't live that life anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I was beyond broken, beyond repair. And I surrendered again in 2009. And mm-hmm. what happened was alcohol which Mm -hmm. hadn't really been a major part of my story became a part of my Mm -hmm. story. And I was a daily blackout drinker from Mm. 2009 to 2012. And Mm -hmm. my significant other at the time gave me an ultimatum, like it's me or it's this, like I can't do it. And I I needed that, and um, I started off to meetings. It was the hardest thing to do, but, you know, I pulled it together. I've done it before, and I couldn't get sober. I kept going to meetings and drinking after. I thought I'd never get it, and a group of people just rallied around me in San Mateo County and loved me and held me together until I could do it for myself and Mm -hmm. I've been clean since 2013 Mm. yeah Mm. so So, that's my story mm. and I've always wanted to give back and that's what I was taught Mm. was you can only keep it and you know and you have to give it away to keep it and Mm
4: -hmm. you know
3: I just now I'm living like my true self, you know, I'm like career wise, I'm going down a path of, you know, becoming an addiction counselor and, you know, being clean and, you know, just being present in my life.
2: Right. Right. I want to just say for our listeners that it's not uncommon for Persons who go through a treatment Experience as an adolescent Especially a young adolescent as young as you were um, right. To as they get Into their young adult Middle adult you know prior to age 30 years That you know Adult life problems You know or that or either Unresolved problems from childhood um, Don't rear their Ugly head or life Experiences you know cause them to go back down that road. But with yeah. all that said, ultimately me as a person in the field, all I care about is that the person at some point in time was able to recover, rise above. Put a you know arrest yeah. no point and arrest the situation and get back on track. Um so I'm very glad that you, you didn't give up. Um because there are many people, me Mr. Producer can attest to, there are many people who, if they've had a recovery experience and they then go a few years and then something happens and they, and they relapse and, and they fall deep into a relapse, it they, they take them a while to find the humility to admit where they are so that they can come out of it. Right. You know, it's like you really have to be humble enough to to admit where you're at, not where you were, not what you accomplished before, but where you're at right now and be able to admit that and come out of it. And not not many people
3: can do that. Yeah, there was a lot of that, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of um, secrecy, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm a failure. I failed this. You know, Mm. and I'm not a failure. I am a success story, and it it just took a while.
2: So do you are – where you are now today um, – by the way, do you have more than one child or just still one child?
3: Nope, I have one child. He's 25, and I'm going to be a grandmother in December, which is wild. All
2: right. So my immediate response to the first statement about having a, if your first child be 25 is, "Damn." And then the <laughs> yeah. second one is like, "Oh my goodness, wow!" <laughs> right? I don't know about you, Mr. Producer, but it makes me feel my age.
1: <laughs> I hear
2: that. Yeah, I hear that
1: for sure.
3: <clears throat> it makes me wow. feel my age too. Like, how did I get this old? Wow. <laughs> So, okay,
2: that's, 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 that's great to hear. Um, and have you remained in any type of contact with your peer group or members of?
3: I have. Um, I have. Okay. Not as often as I'd <clears throat> like to um, mm-hmm. through Facebook um, with both mm-hmm. counselors and peers. Um, <clears throat> and there have been some sad stories along the way.
2: Right, right, right.
3: Yeah, but some awesome stories, too. So, um, yeah, I spent, like, Halloween with one of the girls maybe, like, four years ago. Like, she totally came out to where I live, and we went to Great America, and we bought, like, lights and acted like kids. And, you know, it was great. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
2: Mr. Mr. Producer, I'm going to let her know now that... So she was talking about the initial interview and she talked about how once the panel had accepted her emotional investment and welcomed her into the family. um, And she said how they went from being almost stone faced to very welcoming. So we no longer have what you know as, and what we obviously knew as the initial interview that went Mm -hmm. away. I want to say, Mr. Producer, was that like in two thousand eight, two thousand nine?
1: Somewhere yes, back there? I, the, the the time frames were a little different, um because we we had stopped them with the adolescent program prior to stopping them with the adult program. Right. Exactly. And then and then in the adult program the time frames changed because we had stopped them in the IOP, like the step down, prior to them stopping them in the residential portion. So I think right. your time frame is right as as far as when we first began stopping those, at least in the adolescent, was about oh eight, oh nine, something like that.
2: And so wow. yeah, they change they they changed. To become what we call welcome interviews um, oh. so, so It's There's no more of the demand For the emotional investment And I'll, I'll, I'll let the um, I don't know what to call the Mr. Producer But I'll let others debate The pros and cons of that There obviously are pros and cons But we'll let others debate that But So there's no more of the demand For the emotional investment what we spend time doing is uh, g- just getting some background from you. Um, you the clients in the room spend time talking, you know, connecting with you in terms of whatever you reveal, um, going over the rules and things like, of that nature. Um, so, and, and Chris, I, I, let's, let's just say an unofficial uh, test. What would you say in terms of when we stop doing them, I don't want to say the adolescent program because it's totally different, but in the adult program, when we transition to welcome interviews, what would you say in terms of people staying versus going with the, uh, with the two? Which, did, it, did it make a difference, or were people more invested with the INI, or the welcome interviews keep more people I think it's a wash, me
1: personally. Yeah, it's probably a wash, because, right? You're talking, in my opinion, you're talking about the potential to lose somebody on the front end versus the potential to lose somebody midway or on the back end, right? So the I and I, you might lose or you will lose more people up front than you would in a welcome interview. Um, But those that you lose, you could argue are not – as invested as the ones that would make it through the I and I. So although you may keep 100% of people you give a welcome interview to it's in my opinion, and, and you know, the only way to to really verify this would be to go back to it and track the data. But those people who would not have made it theoretically, who would not have made it through the I and I, but made it through the welcome interview are people who are less invested and probably we will lose at some point during their treatment anyway. Versus people who make it through the INI are less likely to, to be lost through treatment where the woke, it's like, it's not a weeding out process, so to speak anymore, if that makes sense.
2: Right. Right. Well, Christina, it's been a pleasure, uh, tracing back your experience. Um, I hope you're no longer nervous about talking about it on the, uh, on the show. <laughs> no, but I, no. But I think I think people will find it very interesting. I, I, I think also this, um like one of the things when I first came out to California, I had no idea about adolescents getting involved in drugs at the, at such a young age. It just never really? occurred to me. So it was yeah. really eye opening. And I still think today it's eye opening for people, even with what we the, uh, the amount of information that's available to us now at our fingertips, it's still maybe it's more uh, mentally and emotionally eye-opening than factually eye-opening to people that people, kids, for whatever reason, do start getting involved in things like that at very young ages. Um, yes. But I agree 100%. You are a success story. So
1: Thank you. congratulations to you. That's
2: all I got, Mr. Producer, unless you got anything else to ask her.
1: No, I think, I mean, for me, uh, less about maybe the questions and just hearing, hearing the recalling of the story and... uh, Obviously, you know, programs and uh, all businesses adapt to the times and and shift and mold and shape over time, at least the ones who are going to continue to be in business, right? You have to adapt to the current political and economic climate, and that's just kind of the business side of things, which isn't always super romantic, but it's a reality. Um, Mm -hmm. The spirit of the TC definitely still does and, and hopefully and presumably will always live as long as OCG exists. Um, but hearing some of that, um, really kind of old school, true TC, hearing you recall some of that and talk about that, it was like a real, you know, a real privilege. So, uh, Ooh. so I, I just thank you for being on and sharing that with us. And it was, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome to pretty awesome to hear.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I was really honored to come on.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you. Hopefully uh, you won't be a stranger. Hopefully you'll keep in touch uh, with us and uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get you on the show again, or at least um, over to the facility. Maybe we, you know, when our the kind of crazy status of the world we're living in today with the virus dies down, you could come and pay a visit, but uh, we, we ought to definitely Mm -hmm. keep in touch. It's, it's really awesome um, to have folks who have been through it and, and are now doing Uh, great things with their life, you know, be a part of the organization. It really adds to the the power of the message that we send around here.
3: Right. Right. I look forward to it. Yes.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. Good stuff.
2: All right. Bye, Christina.
3: Okay. Bye.
1: Lovely. Lovely. Well done. What a, what a treat. What a treat. I'm telling you when she, and you know, she didn't obviously, uh, exactly remember the, the terminology, but as she's describing the prospect chair, uh, and this panel that she went and saw, obviously the I and I panel, um, and, and then she did drop, you know, I was tired of being on a ghost and wanting to be a coordinator. It was, uh, what a, what a treat. Uh, that, that was pretty great. That was pretty great.
2: And can you imagine, you know, it makes me, it made me think back to <clears throat> that day in, you know, mid March, you know, nine o'clock at night when I'm dropped up in Swan Lake, uh, with 250 people and at nine o'clock is rush hour in the evening because now we're cleaning, we're getting, you know, they're getting ready to go off the floor. So the hustle and bustle You're sitting in the front area And people are just No one's looking at you No matter who you're trying to look at To make eye contact with every, Everyone knows they can't look at you They can't talk to you So it's like you're a ghost Like you're not even there And you're wondering what the hell are all these people doing They're, they're, they're just going They're not mulling around They're moving about with purpose so they're going somewhere doing something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you yeah. but you can't make out what it is they're doing and where they're going. And yeah. they're just walking past, past you and, you know, not even acknowledging your existence and what have you. And it's, it's hard to describe. It's just unbelievable. It's like you just dropped in on a parachute, dropped down into this environment with no pre... <laughs> you know, no pre-warning about what to expect or anything like that. So I identify perfectly when she talked about just sitting there on the plastic chair where all these kids are just mulling around and going around doing their thing and nobody would talk to her because they knew they couldn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I remember, I remember when I was on the PC, um, well, they specifically told me, it's funny. I and it sounds like you do too, but how we all remember that very initial kind of the initial moment, the first day, the first hour Uh, I I remember um, going into Elizabeth's office up in the AO because I arrived right around lunch. And so somebody, presumably an expediter brought a tray of lunch up to Elizabeth for me. And it was fish It was like, I think I arrived on a Friday and we used to have fish Friday. So fish, corn, mashed potatoes and uh, Elizabeth kind of talking to me and she seemed really, really sweet, really, really friendly. So we were talking and then she sent me down to what is now actually my current office, which at the time was occupied by Pinyi, Uh, not Pinyi. uh, Oh Lord, I forget her name. She was a clinician and she also did intake. Um and she was a Chinese lady. Um, I forget I forget her name. Anyway.
2: No, um Pei
1: ying yeah, Pei Ying, yeah, Pei-Ying,
2: yeah.
1: And so I, I went in and she <laughs> and so uh um she was she was interviewing me, asking me a bunch of questions. And so I thought I could game the system. Um, So I was trying to answer the questions to make it appear as though I did not need treatment, right? And so uh, I'm thinking two steps ahead. So every question she asks, I'm thinking, okay, what answer would they need for them to think, oh, this person is not in the right place? So I think I've gamed the entire intake packet process. And at the end of it all, within like five minutes or less, she says, you know what, looking at these answers, you'll be a perfect fit. So I'm thinking, (laughs) "Ah, you got to be kidding me. And so she she sends me back up to the AO. I finish lunch, and somebody, I forget who, maybe it was the chief, brings me down uh, to the PC. No, it must have been a staff member. Brings me down to the PC, sat right underneath the staff office window, and essentially tells me, You can't make eye contact with anybody. Not allowed. You cannot look at anybody. They are not allowed to look at or interact with you. And if anybody looks at you or interacts with you, you got to let staff know. Okay, no problem. So I went down and, um, you know, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm basically just staring at my shoes. I said, you know, this is the safest way not to look at anybody, right? Just stare at my shoes. And I remember somebody getting booked for looking at me. I didn't even know they had looked at me, but they ended up getting booked for looking at me. And anyway, long story short, Rich, uh, Rich was the staff member that um, ran my I&I. I. Uh, but uh, at that time, instead of the dining room, they were utilizing the schoolhouse. And oh. so I am like carrying my PC. Hey, you got to stand up straight. You have to hold the PC in front of your chest. You know what I mean? And you knock on the door, and when they call you, you say your name, you come in. You stand there with the PC. You're holding the PC until they tell you that you can sit down. They tell you to have a seat. And then the whole process, the questions and asking for help, and, yeah, we don't believe you sending you out of the room, having you come back in, uh, and then welcoming you into the family. Um, So, But it's just funny how, yeah, you remember all that. So, um yeah, cool stuff to be able to talk to somebody from, from some old school day top like that.
2: So I learned a valuable lesson. Again, I thought to myself, I, I got, not thought, I know, I developed a very good skill set in doing the initial interviews.
5: Okay. Um,
2: and I think part of the reason is number one, I had a very good person who trained me and two people, Eddie Hill, and Felix Arroyo, but also that I learned early on that it's not about monkey see, monkey do, meaning, you know, it's not about, you know, people think it's about yelling and screaming and and, and all that stuff, and that really has nothing to do with it. And what really, really ran that home for me, and this gentleman will not mind me using his name um, because people don't know him as that anyway, but uh, but some people will, uh, but he wouldn't mind anyway. Matter of fact one day I hope we can get him on the show But his name is Clive Campbell Okay And um, I'll tell you off air Who he is But he came into the program I mean he came in up to Swan Lake And I got assigned And I didn't know him from Adam obviously And I got assigned to do his interview Um, He had dreadlocks Okay And as you know, back then, they don't, you know, everything's got to come off. You're getting a physical haircut, one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was becoming a very hard nut to crack, okay, in the initial interview. And so I had to change tactics. And this is what taught me about it's not just about one way because different types of people aren't impacted by certain approaches. And so I used a different approach with him, which was simply to talk rather than trying to yell, right? Um, and it worked. And so ever since then, I realized that it has nothing to do with you, you can get more across, you can get to people more by talking to them, okay, um, and strategically raising your voice than always being in that constant energy state of raising your voice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but the, the part of the initial interview that I think people used to underestimate, which was very, very important to me, and so me training other people, this is the part that I really focused on, is all the things that led up to the person coming in the room. You know, how they were told to sit on the prospect chair. How, when, when, they, when a person went to go get them, how they were orientated. How they were told to announce their name, what to say, how to enter the room, not to sit down until they were told to sit—all these things. Can you imagine what it creates in somebody? All this anxiety. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Right. And the whole purpose—and the whole purpose of creating that anxiety was to try and cut through, okay, the defense systems that people naturally have coming into this unknown environment. And for most people, for most people, not everybody could. Not everybody made it through the initial interview, but well, for most people, it works. It works, and you get to cut through all of that defense mechanism and get to the core and the, real, the realness and the, the emotional investment. Um, and, again, emotional investment is not just crying and, and carrying on. You know, it's being able to feel that someone is really sincere about asking for help and right some people some people are visibly emotionally broken when they're doing it and other people aren't you still have to be able to perceive that they're sincere or not so yeah that initial interview is uh <laughs> it, it needs to be in the Smithsonian Institute where where, where it needs to be
1: <laughs> you right right because right it, it,
2: it, it is something else man <clears throat> It is something else uh, I think it was described as um, An emotional catharsis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for some people It is that um, For some others It's not so much that As it is um, Like a, a A come to Jesus moment You know what I mean And you can feel and sense When that person recognizes it So you, so that's when you can kind of feel their sincerity. You also have to be careful, Mister Producer, because sometimes you get people, and I don't mean the 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 interviewee, but the interviewers or the people on the panel who, uh, (laughs) you know, have no souls and can't feel any any sincerity. And we will just be for the whole hour. No, I'm sorry, I don't feel you.
1: Yeah, I don't feel it. A- ask again. You can, no, you're gonna have to leave. be breaking down, crying, snotting the whole nine yards, and they like, "I'm sorry, I don't feel you. I don't feel Yep. Oh, that's funny.
2: We had to screen those people out, of course, and not have them in the initial interviews. Yeah. We want people who can, uh, <clears throat> who can be fair, be objective, and also. You know, Remember your own experience Hopefully it wasn't too traumatic
1: Right, having. right, right
2: Now by the way This has nothing to do With the re-interview Which is totally Totally different And serves a total Totally different purpose Because on the re-interview It's just plain and simple We're out to get you Right, 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 right and whether you Emotionally invest or not We don't care Good for you if you do We don't care if you don't It's all about us Getting you <laughs> Let, Letting you know What we think about What you did That's, that's the primary objective In the in the, um, the re-interview But yeah When she mentioned About When she mentioned About the ghost We still use the ghost Right. And and, in the residential facility,
1: I believe. Do you use the ghost? Uh, I know
2: it's like it's like one of those extreme things now to use. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And as far as I know, exactly. You said it best there. It's not a tool that we've done away with by any stretch. We just haven't used it in quite some time because there's not been a need to use it. Right. So. um as things will happen and as, as time progresses and, and things evolve, certain tools begin to be used for things outside of their originally intended purpose. And so right. uh, like bands, for example, so, so, you know, it used to be a very serious, almost like a house meeting type thing when a ban would be placed on somebody right. or some in the, in the community. And it was like, a really, really, really big deal. Like something serious is going on. Um and eventually it became a tool that staff would uh wield, you know, just because it, it might assist them in in, in um de escalating a particular situation where you would use other tactics normally in a TC to de-escalate the situation, but it maybe out of convenience, um it became something that was used more frequently than normal. And, and as you well know, uh, when things like that happen in the TC, when tools like that are used with a frequency greater than what they were originally intended, it dilutes the power of the tool. And so ghosts and bands started to kind of, for the adolescent facility specifically, would get thrown out pretty often. Uh Ghosts, just because you would just have you know that one teenager who was just off the hook and like staff would be at their wits end, and this is the only way we can deal with this kid right now um, mm-hmm. and then bands uh because we had boys and girls, and when you get teenagers with hormones raging and boys and girls, uh you know obvious things will transpire, or at least plans for such things to transpire. And so placing two people on a ban in hopes to cease their communication and stop that evolution from happening uh, would be, you know, kind of a go-to thing where bans were really originally instituted in, with the purpose of safety only. Like if there's two people in the community <laughs> who, if they exchange another word in the hallway, we're going to have a Royal Rumble on our hands. And so there's right. like an right. eminent threat. You need to put these two on a ban until – staff can intervene or an encounter group or something where they can get past wanting to kill each other. And so that was really the only purpose for a ban. Um, and, and a ghost too. that an individual, uh, we believe that this individual has snuck drugs onto the property. They're not coming forward with it. And to limit their interaction and their potential safety risk to the rest of the people in the community, we're going to put them on a ghost until we figure something out. Um, And so I think we've done a good job going back to only using those tools for their intended purpose. And I don't know if it's by virtue of the population that we currently service or just the clients that we have right now. Um, We haven't had to use those tools, but that's not to say that they don't still exist or, or that they don't, they're not in our repertoire, so to speak.
2: Right. Right. So in closing, Mr. Producer, so all of that is great stuff. Um, I really enjoyed uh, going back down memory lane with Christina. Um, so I do want to just transition for the last few minutes that we have here to something totally, and as Joe would say, totally, totally unrelated to what we were just talking about. <clears throat> and it's more, right. your exp- it's more toward your expertise, Mr. Producer, as a cat person
1: oh here we go and i told you about calling me a cat person now you've done it on air for the millions to hear so uh i guess that went in one ear out the other but go for it uh, i'm sorry
2: what was what is the appropriate way to refer to
1: you or others who love the felines and and it.
0: and and (laughs) this is getting
1: this is getting worse and worse (laughs) uh you, you, <laughs> love the felines uh someone with a working knowledge of the feline species a scientist okay. so to speak in the cat realm
2: okay okay so um something happened over the friday saturday sunday uh weekend that was absolutely horrifying okay and it was horrifying not because it was unusual it was horrifying because um, it's unusual for me, okay? And that is, on Friday night, I thought I saw a mouse in my house. Hmm, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I saw what I saw. Of course. Start questioning but it. It's moved kind of quick. It was dark. Was I, it a shadow I, of some no, kind? No, it wasn't a shadow wasn't a shadow, but I, it, I one half of my brain was, look, man, you know what you saw. And the other half of my brain was, that's impossible. There's no There's way, no it, way. It a, mouse. a mouse could be in your house. It just can't be. <laughs> right. And,
1: right. And,
2: I, and and so I'm trying to rationalize the it can't be by saying, wait a second, we got three dogs in the house. One of them, you know, definitely wouldn't tolerate anything like that. And I'm sure they would be able to smell it. They'd be going crazy, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know any of this is true. I'm just saying all of this to myself. Sure. So I didn't sleep all night because I can't get it out of my mind. that There's something in my house without my permission. Okay? Um, so Saturday comes. And, you know, so when you think there's a mouse that you saw in a certain place, as you go through that place all the time in the during the day, you know, your eyes are kinda like now focused to say, Wait, you know, you know, am I gonna see it again or what? Then as Saturday evening rolls around, I'm sitting at the dinner table and I'm and I'm working on the computer, laptop, and my eyes are just gazing somewhere else as I'm thinking, and now I see the mouse casually take its time and stroll from one spot to underneath the stove.
1: Oh wow. Okay, confirmed.
2: And I, say, get, I say, get the hell out of here. I said, not only <laughs> is there a mouse in this damn kitchen, it has come out. You know, it wasn't dark out, you know, and it was, you know, still, you know, dusk maybe, the light on in the kitchen, and it showed itself. I'm like, wow.
1: That's a bold mouse, too, because normally if yeah. people are around or something, that sucker is going to. Hide in terror until he can sneak about with nobody on the floor, right. so to speak.
2: Exactly. So I, I don't know if it just didn't smell me, you know, if they say it could smell the humans, or I was just being so quiet, I didn't know if anybody was there. And, you know, so now, um, okay, now I shift gears to, uh, there has to there's going to be a dead mouse in this house in the next 24 hours. And, and yeah. nothing else matters to me In my existence now It's go time And so it's go time I got four traps in the shed Go out and get them <laughs> <saw him> load, <laughs> uh, I got my I, I got my gear on And everything and I'm like this is war now Absolutely Um, And so I put two traps One on each side of the refrigerator Because I don't know where it's coming from And then I put two traps One in front of the stove One at the side of the stove and, you know, and they say, with peanut butter achieved, I chose peanut butter. And, okay, let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll.
1: So All right, I'm with you.
2: Saturday night, Lynn and I having a conversation about this intruder because now she can't sleep. Now that I've copped to her, listen, I got an announcement to make. I want you to remain calm. Uh, but there's a mouse in the kitchen. Now, after five minutes and finally getting her to calm down, <laughs> okay. And rain and reining her back in, and refocusing all that energy to say, "Listen, I got a plan." Okay, I got the traps down. And the first question, the first thing that when I tell her I got the traps down, she can't think of nothing else but to ask me, "Where the hell did you get traps from?" <laughs> I said, look, I just, I just, you know, it's like you keep raid on hand just in case. I keep traps on hand just in case.
1: Yeah, you never know.
2: You never know. So I had four traps in the shed. So I said, listen, um, we'll put the traps. I put the traps down, and we'll see what happens. And you know, she's. I said, look, you know, I'll give it tops. I'm going to give this thing four days, maybe a week. I might give it, but if that doesn't work. I'm not opposed to going to the pound and get the cat and having that right. cat stay in your, live in your craft room because it can't live anywhere else because I don't know how, the dogs ain't going to accept it. I said, but we put it out at night because the dogs are kind of contained at night and let it do its thing, you know, patrol and take care of it. Yep. But um, she shot that idea down. I said, okay, then it's about traps. So nothing happens over Saturday night. Sunday comes and decide to say listen um i don't want the mouse killed i said what i said yeah i don't think i'm i'm i i i do not want to kill the mouse i want we need to find another way to get the mouse out of the house
1: without killing it i was actually I said, you, waiting not, for that that part of the story so so we're there I now
2: said, i said you're effectively removing about 85% of my options to get the, this mouse out of the house yeah okay I pretty much was able to tell her, get to the point, and listen. I said, "Your idea of starving the mouse out is not going to work." Because number one, we already keep an immaculate kitchen. Okay, I think the mouse came in because the boys, when they're outside eating, they just leave food outside, and the mouse, you know, the dogs don't eat that food, so the mouse some. Something outside is going to come in, a cat, something, and, and you know, hey, there's a, there's a Dorito over here, or, a, I don't know, a leftover half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich behind the dumpster over here. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right, right. And,
2: and because I have dogs, the, the, the stray cats that used to come around don't come around anymore. Now, there you I go. Now, I know for a fact one does, because th- I see it on the camera at 3 o'clock in the morning, but it stays up on the fence. It doesn't come down. Because it, it knows dogs are around Sure, sure So I said listen uh, I said how long do you want to get to starve this thing out I said because You could be 30 days in And there's no food anywhere And you, don't, we ha- you might not have seen the mouse But uh, trust me You're going to see a dropping somewhere Or something like that I said here's my concern I don't want that damn mouse to reproduce Okay right? If there's one I just, I want to get that one, get it out the house, and let's move on. So she was non-committal. She just left the conversation with, well, I don't want to the out. <laughs> I said, okay, whatever. <laughs> the tra- traps are out. They're staying out. So su- Sunday night, nothing happens overnight. Um, at about 2 o'clock in the morning last night, she wakes me up, you know, the, the rugged wake up oh uh, man
1: the elbow, elbow to the ribs no, no the shake the the, the
2: shoulder shake wake up
1: okay you know, like uh <laughs> yeah.
2: said, i think i heard the i think i heard the mouse trap go off she, I, said, <laughs> okay. I didn't hear anything she said no i think i heard it. i said okay i said we don't have to do anything you know it, it's one of those it's not an exposed trap it's a covered trap so let's just be inside right um i said okay i'll check it when i get up at some point because one of the dogs are going to want to get up at some disgusting hour, obscene hour of night to go out. There you go. And so, as truth be told, one of them did want to go out. And I went in the kitchen. I looked at the visible traps. I didn't see nothing. I said, uh, I didn't even remember about the traps on the side of the thing, on the, of the refrigerator. Okay. I, I said, no, no traps went off. But this morning, I go into the kitchen. The two traps by the stove were still untripped. I said, let me check the ones by the uh, kitchen, or by the refrigerator. I had to Tripped, move tray but tray no tables. mouse. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't. I had to move tray tables and ironing boards and stuff out the way. And all I saw was a tail coming out.
1: Okay. Oh. <laughs> all right. Got it.
2: The only thing is. I don't know if that's the only one. So I said all the other traps are staying down until further notice, just in case.
1: Okay. So to be continued,
2: but that was my weekend focused on
1: mouse eradication. <laughs> there you go. And you, uh, where does this tie into a question for me about being a cat expert?
2: Would my idea of bringing a cat in have worked?
1: Oh, Absolutely. Well, and, okay. and, and, and if anything, it might have worked more toward what the authority was requesting because the mouse might have just ceased coming into the house before the cat could kill it, and then she gets what she wants. No mouse, but not a dead mouse necessarily because, you know, animals, they understand their place in the hierarchy, and they pick up on that via pheromones, right, and so – if a mouse so much as smells a cat, that that mouse is getting out of dodge. What well, what I'll tell you is, if the the mouse was somehow stuck in the house without an exit, and you had brought a cat in, yeah, you you would have had a dead mouse, and there would have been a presentation. Okay, so the cat would have laid it at the foot of your bed, or depends on how long you had the cat in the house and how well the cat knows the house and knows your pattern or 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 the authorities' pattern or whoever else lives there. Uh, But once a cat has the lay of the land and knows kind of the, the walking paths of the people and where the people spend most of their time, that's, that's where you would have found the mouse uh, laid out for you on a silver platter, essentially. And this actually comes from the lineage of cats, right? So cats were first domesticated in Egypt. um, And this is how cats ended up evolving to, become friends with humans that would ultimately feed them and or give them shelter is because rodents were an issue way, you know, hundreds or hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, for these human communities. And so the cats learned quickly through evolution that not only if they helped with the rodent issue, but presented the rodent to the people that the people would then find a use for them and begin keeping them around or taking care of them. And so that has not been broken through evolution yet. So, yeah, if a, if a cat kills a bird or a mouse that's in your house, you can, you can rest assured that they are going to put that on display for you.
2: So it was my thinking that not only was that, that since cat, cats are nocturnal hunters, Correct. Correct. Well,
1: they will, they will, cats, cats will hunt at any time, but generally speaking, uh, and, and this is where the, the two can get crossed up is that mice or the things that cats will typically hunt are, are active at night. And so by default, that's when a cat will do the majority of its hunting. But if a cat is asleep during the day and, and cats like any predator never are like fully asleep, right? They're always a half a second away from being fully awake and ready to attack. Um, If a cat were to hear a mouse in the middle of the day during his nap, uh, he's going to wake up and be on the hunt immediately. Uh, But yeah, generally speaking, you will see those interactions taking place at night because that's when squirrel, you know, raccoons, mice, whatever, that's generally when they are on the move. So I
2: figured that if Bentley, the mini poodle, would have gone into the kitchen and, let's say, smelled something under the stove or the refrigerator. All he would do is stand there and bark. Yeah. But the cat would, if it knew there was a mouse under the fridge or the stove, could sit there for hours being very patient. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting for it to present itself.
1: Be the opposite of barking. Would find exactly. a spot, would get really low to the ground, slow down its breathing so its breathing's not audible, pin its ears back, and just wait for that mouse to present itself. And in a split second, you know, if, if you didn't get like a senior citizen cat, for example, but if you got a cat in its uh, in its prime, so to speak, um, yeah, that that mouse would not stand a chance. Okay.
2: That's why I used to feed the damn strays outside to to patrol and keep the field mice and whatnot. Oh away. yeah, I can't figure out other than through the gap in our screen door how this mouse got into the house.
1: I can't yeah, figure. Yeah, it out. I mean, you'd be surprised, man. Mice uh they can they can squeeze through holes that appear to be way smaller than you know the circumference of any part of their body that you might measure—it's—it's um, it's uncanny. Um, but yeah, uh, be that as it may, for sure, if the stray cats are no longer around, uh, y- you can you can rest assured that you'll get rodents uh, at least yes. surveying the 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 land or the opportunity uh, that you right. would not have gotten in the past.
2: And and. Which brings me to my final thing. Um, it, it's now war, you know, game on because uh, now that my house has been breached, um, and this has never even in the previous place I lived there was a mouse. We found out where it was coming from. I closed it up, never saw them again. But now that the house has been breached, um, it's going to be a war now because
1: got to figure um, it out. I got to figure it out and I can't let it happen again because chain is, it, chain it, is only it, as strong as its weakest link. That breach point exactly. is now your weakest link. <laughs> and,
2: and even though I'm not, I'm not confirmed of what, where it is. I'm always speculating. Um, anything now has to be considered. So uh, the game on now.
1: Yeah, there you go. And, and I'll say another thing. If you all should find yourselves in that precarious position, once again, uh, and do want to go down the path of getting a young, sprightly feline in that house uh, to uh, rid yourself of the the undesirable position of rodent issues, uh, you better keep that barking poodle away from that cat, because that cat will whoop that poodle's ass, too.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, listen, I, I know any cat will also beat the Ridgebacks, <laughs> um, you know, behind. Also, U- yeah. ultimately, when all when all is said and done, it might be a you know uh, an even standoff in the beginning, but in the end, the cat's always
1: going to win. Oh yeah, but, those cat, cats don't mess around. So yeah, there you have it.
2: Yep. So I, I'll keep you posted on my uh, my new warfront. And um, let you know If I have to end up brainstorming the, the serious consideration Of bringing in the ultimate Defense mechanism Into the house A
1: <laughs> weapon, uh, weapon of mass rodent destruction The, the weapon <laughs> Bringing in a weapon of war <laughs> Absolutely That's it Alright well yeah <laughs> Keep keep me posted for sure uh, Keep Keep me posted for sure Alright sir all right, folks. Well, uh, it was a great show. Glad to have this one in the archives. One of the originals uh, got got the privilege and honor to interview somebody and, and get that in the record book. So we were super fortunate to have Christina. We thank her again. Uh, we thank everybody who tuned in today or anybody who will listen to the show from the archives in the future. Again, uh, the, the audience is one of the major reasons we do this. Um, and hopefully we'll be on next time a a little sooner than the gap between the very last show and this show um, to to bring another topic to you guys and and, and get things going, get the ball rolling again on some more radio shows. So with that said, until that time comes, we hope everybody has some uh, safe and productive weeks and, and some fun and safe weekends, and we will catch everybody on the flip side.
0: forward slash OCG Radio like us, friend us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA you can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage this has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio
4: and say Until then, baby, are you gonna let pull you down and make you cry? Don't you know? Don't you know? If you change, things are going away.